You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Over 40 years of Rav. Is that better? <laughs> is, it, is that better? Over 40 years? Oh, yeah, oh, it's geez. much better. Yes. Okay, so this is going to be our new intro. Over 40 years of Rav. <laughs> Doesn't sound as good. Well... <laughs> Yes, starting his 42nd year. Da, 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 what was Jackie Robinson's number? 42? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. The Jackie Robinson of rabbinic of the rabbinic world. Yes. We're back. Yes. We're back and better than ever. Yeah, yeah, yes. After a long summer hiatus. Wow, yes. And you look tanned and fresh and... And already, we said one of the reasons we said, Rabbi, that we were going to uh, have this uh, break was like this uh, idea should sort of percolate in our head. And of course, the world uh, didn't go on hold just because the uh, Emeritus Rex program. Time marches on. Yes. And again, what would you say uh, the last couple of weeks, people who have been salivating for for your, you know, your comments, your your critiques, your observations. But let's take about some of the stuff that's been going on the last couple of weeks. Um, uh, January 6th hearings, let's put that on the side a little bit. Um, Trump, Trump was raided. Yes, let's was talk about raided. that. Let's start with, let's start with um, the Margo, the Mar-a-Largo break-in of, well, not break-in, well, the FBI decided, yes. Yeah. Where was Trump, by the way? Yeah, I, I was say, Where was Trump? He was, he was golfing somewhere, right, in New Jersey. He was in New Jersey. I mean, he was speaking at a campaign in New Jersey, so a campaign rally for some candidate, I forget who. In the morning? Uh, in one second. Didn't they come in the morning to... Uh, to they came to... early. Uh, agents came. They were very well behaved, from what I understand. They uh, uh, they uh, behaved themselves with remarkable uh, decorum and etiquette, uh, as befitting the great Federal Bureau of Investigation, housed in the J. Edgar Hoover building in the heart of Washington, D.C. The G-men, <laughs> as we used to call them. And uh, they, it's listen, this story, there's too much we don't know about this story. Um, the uh, apparently the judge who was a uh-huh. Jew, a Jewish judge in Florida, uh, in, in Florida, Florida, went ahead and agreed to the uh, the search warrant. So, this the search warrant's been released. The affidavit, which was used to make the case to the judge that a search warrant was warranted has yet to be released. Now they've announced late yesterday, the judge did, that a redacted version of the affidavit. Uh, now, remember something. I mean, there's, all, I mean the, the, there's context and double context and triple context to all of this. One is they, serve, they served a subpoena in June on him, and there's been months and months of negotiations between uh, the National Archives people, the DOJ people, uh, with the Trump lawyers about getting these materials uh, the lawyer sworn affidavit that everything was been returned. It seems like a source inside Mar-a-Lago let, let the authorities know that it's not true that there's still stuff around. Um, you know, so people who are, you know, are, are, are skeptical a little bit. Some people are. Why didn't they just try to press the subpoena? Why did they need, you know, a search warrant uh, and, uh, and the intrusion on Mar-a-Lago? Uh, others will refer back to other moments in Trump's life when uh, the authorities in Washington uh, acted inappropriately. The FISA warrant, 
on uh, uh, th that was part of the uh, uh, you know crossfire hurricane investigation of Russian collusion. That the, the affidavit backing that up was proved to be filled with lies. The Carter Page warrant. So there, there's, a, there's some skepticism on the right uh, of the left. Parts of the left are just salivating at the idea of putting this guy behind bars. On the other hand, there are Democrats who believe that the best chance for Biden or another Democrat to win in 20, 2024 is to have Trump as the opponent. Um, and therefore, it's not good necessarily to get rid of Trump. Um, and the Democrats have proven themselves reckless and irresponsible by propping up Republican candidates who are Trump aficionados during these primaries in order to make their uh, ability to win a general ele general election in, in these can you know later on in the year uh, you know so uh, there's a lot of I think there was also well, the thing that intrigued me the sort of James Bond aspect of it was that there might be some very highly important security right so documents. there was a second hold on and that what, what Trump would do would like you know somehow reveal them to some foreign power, right. and this would endanger the whole world. And who knows, maybe- Listen, there were instances during the Trump administration where he acted recklessly with confidential documents. It was a time that he leaked some Israeli intelligence to the Russians, where he posted on Twitter an Iranian missile site. Uh, he, he was not cautious about this. Combining that with the idea that Trump had a propriety idea about anything going on in the government, he thought, you know, the attorney general was his attorney general. He thought, you know, you know, I, he didn't really understand the difference between himself and uh, uh, and the government. I mean, to the extent where I mean, this is I mean, this is a ridiculous example, but it's funny. He he rejected the use of the POTUS handle on Twitter because he wanted it to be his own name. So, I mean, he, he didn't you know, he didn't know where to draw the line between himself and the government. On the other hand, the way you know, the way authorities acted during the Russian collusion investigation, leaves much reason for skepticism. And then you add on that the way Hillary Clinton, the investigation of Hillary Clinton email were, were, were handled in, you know, in a way which did not lead to any kind of prosecution. Um, but again, there's a lot of issues here with Trump. It's, uh, you know. Uh, I heard Alan Dershowitz uh, the other day um, in shock over how Merrick Garland, who he actually either was a student of his or someone he, uh, he supports and someone he recognizes as a first-class legal mind, right, how, he, how so, he could- So because people have so much respect for Merrick Garland and justified respect, at least until now, people, some people are saying, well, there must be more to this. They must have more evidence, they must. And, and again, time will tell, we'll see the affidavit, we'll see other things. Uh, you know, and, and, and because of the intense scrutiny, they're going to have to make a lot of things public that they might generally not. But but there's intense scrutiny here. Affidavits for search warrants generally are not made public. But um, Look, uh, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit and tell people that the FBI isn't your cop on the beat. Right. Your cop on the beat has a has a camera now on him. Uh, there's certain rules and regulations. There's internal affairs that could you know, get right. to, to winnow out the dirty cop. The FBI is really based on being an internal, we can do anything to you. We could, we don't, right? The whole, the FBI is really not just federal cops. They have incredible power that has never been 
I, I think, limited and put into a little box because J. Edgar Hoover, who you mentioned before, wanted it to be able to go after everybody. Whether it was, let me let me just pontificate here, right. the, the Pope. So one of the things is, is that, yeah, during uh, the uh, 60s, where there was worry that the nascent and then very strong um, movement the protest movement was in, was really infiltrated by the communists, and the communists were part of it. And this was all a communist plot to overthrow the government. So the FBI basically planted bugs everywhere. They they inserted their their moles every place. They they spied on people. They broke into people's houses. I mean, the F, again, it's not like oh, the FBI is so uh, you know buttoned down. That's what the Chiddush here, of course, is that it's actually being done against a former president. Right. right. Also, the Chiddush here is that the assumption was that the FBI is basically conservative and they would plant informants in the, I don't know, the Black Panthers, the Weather Underground when we were kids. You know, they'd go after those guys. Now, here they are. It, it does seem under Trump uh, and, uh, you know, uh, that there were agents there who had a political agenda against Trump. The, the, the whole, again, operation, what is it? A crossfire hurricane would be, I don't know who comes up with these names. Um, you know, the investigation of, 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 of Trump's collusion with the Russians, it was heavily tainted by people with a political agenda who corrupted the process. I mean, we, we you know, there, there's uh they corrupted a process which is essentially corrupt. That's the Inspector General's it's, it's, report. It's, 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 right, it's like, again, so therefore, even though Merrick Garland, you know, could, would, had he been a Supreme Court justice or when he was sitting on the federal appeals court, you know, was, was you know, this is the way law is. When he becomes attorney general and the FBI is under his uh, control, right. that is basically, I mean, these are the, the this is, this is the mafia. Listen, there was they a, do everything. The FBI does everything. There was a theory that Andrew McCarthy, the National Review, a respected former prosecutor, put forward. He said, listen, what do prosecutors do? Uh, let's say you. They know you're selling drugs, right? But they don't have any, enough evidence to get a search warrant. So what they do is they find out you're also doing something else minor. So they get a search warrant to go into your apartment to look for evidence of, I don't know, whatever. And using that search warrant, they come up with stuff on the, on the issue they're really looking at. And there are those who believe that this is triggered by the January 6th investigation, that really they're going into Trump's place claiming some violation of document handling and not turning over presidential archives. And there's a whole you know list of statutes and laws guiding what a president's supposed to do with former papers. Some of them are recent vintage, meaning post-Nixon, some of them very old. So they're using this as a pretext to get into Mar-a-Lago to look for January 6th evidence. That's one theory. I think as the days unfold and you haven't had that theory in any way confirmed by any leaks, it's becoming less viable as a, you know, as, as a compelling narrative here. Um, you, so but the, to, the timing is extremely... The, try, the timing is weird. But again, so that theory may still be true. The other, the other I think what's really pushing this is there's a group of hardcore anti-Trumpists, you know, people that, you know, who, who are on the left, who are desperately pushing this administration to prosecute Trump. And this was the easiest hook to hang their hat on because there probably were violations of document handling by Trump, given his record of not really appreciating the etiquette of 
of the presidency. Right, but, but, but as I've heard, one second, I've heard that the president, just like, you know, like, like when you're Mafresh Truma, you can be Mafresh Truma in your mind. You could also decide this is declassified. Words, I've read a lot about this. Can you declassify? So I, you know, I, it's a, that's a tough question. In other words, is there something called implied declassification? The fact that I put it in the box and, and right. put it on the airplane. The, the fact Florida. that I took it out of the Oval Office and brought it into the residence, does that mean I have declassified it? Because they Others have said, no, they, there's a very strict process for yes, it. Yes, and Obama, right. Obama and the others who took more than Trump did. Uh, in order to build his memoirs and write the story, right? But there was a, the question: Is the process? Did he follow the? So, the, so there's a. So again, is there an implied declassification? Implied by his recklessness? Does that mean he declassified it? La Mafreya. Yes, you know, that's what so I mean. CNN does a story last night where they talked to seven thousand former White House employees, and Trump never formally declassified anything. So that's another debate, but. Again, and here's the point: the fact that you and I have to have a discussion. About wait, wait, wait a second. Let me just just let's put it in perspective. A president whose main method of communicating was through Twitter chats and tweets. Do you expect him to actually go through anything formal? Right. Man, exactly. The, the man and never you know, operated. Here's the point. Here's the uh, point. When you serve a search warrant, when the FBI serves a search warrant on a former president, it better be on a violation. And I don't have to spend 10 minutes trying to explain why it's a violation, right? And it's not exempted by something else. So the very fact that there is a, a, there's some ambiguity about these laws and what's classified, what has to be handed over to the National Archives, you know, that, when, when, is, this, is this clear cut enough? Is this black and white enough to, for a, an attorney general to approve a search warrant on a former president. Is this really, right. is this really enough? Well, let me throw in another Talmudic Mishnaic reference. You know, we know that when it comes to Hatzalus Nefoshos and you hear that something has happened uh, in some uh, wayward township and the Jews amass themselves and get their weaponry and they go out there and they trudge out there. And then someone tells them it's over. <laughs> it wasn't what you thought it was, right? We don't say, drop your gun, put it down. We actually say carry those babies back, even through Rishus Harabim, whatever it is, because otherwise, next time you're not going to. Uh, hmm, if you're going to put um, very logical um, clamps on a process, the next time it's not going to work. Which means, let me just now make my 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 reference connected to what we're talking about. If you're going to, okay, Trump was uh, was had all the bad stuff, and it was right. But the next president will also be open. And now you have a situation where every ex-president is open, especially if he loses in some sort of bitter fight to his political opponent. This political opponent will now be able to wreak havoc and get vengeance or whatever it is. And nobody's going to really want to be involved in this office because of what could happen to them. So, look, it's bad enough, isn't it, Ralph, that... The, the, the people we're talking about for president, maybe DeSantis is the exception. I don't know. I don't know what you feel about that. But they're, look, we, we've, got, we've got two old, doddering, like nuts, people that we would, if these guys would be members of your show, they would be the ones that you would run away from, Biden and Trump. You would be running away from them from Kiddush as quick as possible. You'd shake their hands, give them a little laugh, and then move on. And these are the guys that we're talking about to being the most powerful person in the world. 
So, however, we want to encourage people to young blood, smart people, intelligent people, people without prejudice. When they see this is what happens, they're going to stay away from it. So I, I think you're, it isn't just going after a former president. We're really endangering the presidency and the chances of getting good candidates in the first place. Look, I would assume that Lincoln, for all his sainthood that happened post his death, he probably bent the rules consistently in order to save the union, so to speak. And if people are going to be able to be uh, reproached afterwards for all the ticky-tack things they might have done, then people, we're not going to have presidents who are noble and brave and, 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 and one of this. Do you agree? I, there's no question the last five years, if not longer, have disfigured the American political scene. Again, if... If the Republicans hadn't become so deranged recently, there are very compelling arguments to be made about Biden on the border, on Afghanistan, on the economy, on COVID. Very serious, very compelling, very persuasive arguments to be made against his presidency. But instead... The Republican voices that dominate the arena are voices that just scream things. They're woke. They're socialists. They're, you know, instead of making a coherent argument, which would be persuasive, and on the left, they've gone completely nuts. In other words, when when the Inspector General's report comes out and, and it's revealed about the FISA warrant and all this stuff and the Operation Crossfire and Comey and all these guys, right? If the left was a little more honest they too wouldn't have lost the trust of so many people in the center and the right if they were honest on Hunter Biden, right? Where where all the newspapers miraculously discovered that the New York Post, which they unequivocally labeled as Russian misinformation, where they they conjured up 50 national security, you know, uh, uh, experts who had, you know, previous administrations to write that statement about the Hunter Biden story uh, you know, how it was Russian misinformation, how Twitter removed the story because it's Russian. Mis- and now it's, we, it's clear it's all true. Some journalists have actually corrected their previous re- reporting. But when the right sees this kind of collusion between, you know, m- major organs of, of, of the media and, and government seeming to collude together to conceal the corruption of the Democrats, to conceal the, the corruption of, of, of the investigations of Trump, then they've lost faith. I mean, they, they've really lost the trust of, of a big chunk of, of Americans who see a search warrant being, uh, being you know, against the Trump, and all they see is another act of corruption. I mean, in other words, each side has made so many mistakes as to cripple their own ability to persuade anybody but their own camp. Well, again, you're right. We are definitely in a in a area that n- neither of us remember as much as you know. Uh, I think Robert Cato and others, um, the presidential historian about LBJ, uh, the Piccadillos of JFK, uh, Nixon, of course. I think uh, you know. <laughs> I'm not sure if they're still writing books about it, but there doesn't need to be. The Watergate hearings themselves brought those out, but there still was something about the idea: I'm going to grow up and be president of the United States. There was something about that. Right. That, um, that no, the, everything has been diminished. It's terrible. No, it's, it, 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 it does not augur well. Yeah. And again, and even, you know, we, we all, people always think they live in the moment. 
And people will tell you, well, look at the Clinton presidency. Look at what Clinton was doing, you know, uh, with every um, uh, intern or outturn uh, that he was able to get his hands on. But I, I think, you know, the, we, we knew he was a hound dog. But I think that, um, I, I think Clinton was able to bifurcate his, his, his sense of himself. And I think he was actually, in his mind and in his, in his actions, a, a, a loyal public servant who actually saw himself above the party base that put him in power. And I think his second, uh, you know, if it wouldn't be for Monica Lewinsky, I think his second term would have been seen as a, a very, a model for centrist thinking, getting things well, done. Well, the great thing about Clinton was, I mean, what Clinton was good, what was smart about is that he understood the country wasn't left wing. He got up and he said, the era of big government is over. That was said by a Democrat president, a Democratic president, not a Republican. And he had a sister soldier moment where, you know, he distanced himself from the, the crazies in his party. But again, uh, Biden is, seems to be, who won only because he was a moderate, seems to have been held, is being held hostage by, uh, by the voices on, on, on the extreme uh, ends of the Democratic Party. And, and, and again, so let me just go back to the point here. Clinton was a man, I guess, in his late 40s, early 50s. George W. was similar. I mean, that's who you want to be uh, in this right. very strenuous, difficult job. Uh, someone who's mature. He's left his childhood behind. And whether he's not perfect, but somebody who you want at the helm of the ship. And it's it's a sorry state of affairs where hmm, Trump Biden like it, it's 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 no, it's very bad it's it's, it's, it's very it's, bad I mean Biden clearly is not I'm uh, saying if Woody Allen would have made listen, a movie at, at if Woody Allen would have made a movie in the 70s about right. a, a utopian Amer America 50 years from now people would have been laughing their heads off that the two guys who were who were the candidates one guy comes out in a walker right and the other guy has clearly dyed hair and you know is, is getter and has got you know a string of six ex-wives with him you know i mean it's it really is it's, it's insane it's it's worse than a a spanish soap opera it's no really no we have we have be clowned ourselves there's no question yeah, biden yeah. at his peak was not known as 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 possessing great intellectual gravitas right, i mean yeah, yeah. you so know think, and, and now he certainly declined from a not so high peak and <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he declined Trump again has listen had Trump implemented every policy he implemented, but never gone on Twitter right and never done the sillies, he would have been reelected in a landslide. Yes, look well, well a landslide because the fact is the economy before COVID was doing great. Black unemployment was at historic lows. The fact is, you know, the, the old-fashioned Republican policies of cutting regulations and cutting taxes it does you know create a boom in the economy. That does end up benefiting many. Uh, there's no question that the environmental policies of the extreme left today are contributing to the crippling of the American world economy. Uh, you, you know, it's it, it, the. I, I love I love the anti-inflation bill. You know what we're going to do? <laughs> we're going to hire eighty-seven thousand more IRS agents, and we're going to go discover all the tax frauds and all the tax cheats and all corporate and individuals, that's going to lower inflation because then we're going to bring the money back. Um, yeah. So it's honestly, it's a, uh, uh, it's a sorry state of affairs, but the point is we don't, who does the democratic party have? If Biden isn't the nominee, who does the democratic party have? 
Kamala Harris is even less popular than Biden and has not exactly performed in a way that has engendered respect or admiration. So who is there on the Democrat? Who do you have? Pelosi? No, of course not. She's, she's way too old. Uh, Chuck Schumer, way too old and way too Jewish. Um, so who, who do you have on the Democrat? On the Republican side, if Trump runs, who is going to have the guts to go up against him in primaries? Right? Jeb, Mario, and Ted aren't going after this again. Right, the th- you know some of the guys from the past. So who's going to go after the only guy who comes close to him in popularity is DeSantis, who again has a has, you know has a pretty solid record as governor uh, of Florida. Right, but, but if Trump <laughs> announced, would DeSantis run against him? Right, DeSantis has everything to lose because look, he's a young guy still, and right. he is. And there was a, a wonderfully uh, precise and interesting, um, uh, you know profile of him in the New Yorker a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, before we, that really put in perspective, they say he's Trump with brains, you know, right. he's a guy who was at the top of his class, he oh, he's worked with the Navy guy. SEALs, yeah, yes, and and, and he, even, he, listen, he bucked Mickey Mouse, and he won, you know what I'm saying, right. he, bucked, he bucked Mickey Mouse, and he won, by the way, I did see, um, you know, let, let's segue into uh, another thing, I do want to tell you that one of the things that really bugged DeSantis about uh, Disney and giving them all these breaks was Disney's talking about uh, wokeness, but also it's, it's, it's statements promoting that we need to promote to our children, uh, relationships, LGBTQ. Um, no, it was, it, what the whole thing was triggered was when the, Florida passed a very reasonable law about how to educate small children. The left called that meant don't say gay, which was a right. complete disfigurement mm-hmm. of what mm-hmm. it had actually done and then disney acted on the on, right. on, so, on, so disney on, said we're going back. to pu- we're going to push back and we're going to make sure that we who have the ultimate platform for kids everybody knows since the days the i mean what percentage of american parents want their second grader to be lectured to by a teacher about transgenderism yes i mean what is it one percent so i do want to so i do want to tell you that um my interest in DeSantis. Uh, had the courage to start up with probably one of the greatest revenue bringers in Florida, which right. is Disney, Epcot. Right? By the way, I, I have a story to tell you about Mickey and Minnie. My, oh, my okay. granddaughter, my granddaughter, my son's daughter, Ruhama, uh, a couple of weeks ago visited Disneyland. In, in World California. or land? World or in land? California. Well, that's land, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, and she visited, and at one point she turned to my son, Sazi, with a smile on her face, and she said, are Mickey and Minnie like the Ottoman Chava of Disneyland? <laughs> Very good. A pupko indeed. A pupko indeed. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Instead of, you instead, know, of instead the, of instead of a fig leaf, we use white gloves. Do you remember <laughs> the do you remember that went over you? That went over you completely yeah. from Disney, uh, which is you know, although Walt himself was famously anti-Semitic, he got rid of so many. Uh, he personally hated the Jewish moguls in Hollywood, which is one of the reasons why he, um, you know, he created his own program. Um, right. And uh, the other thing that he did was, um, you know, he, he he fired a number of Jewish artists. He was yes. really, you know, he was he was he was really uh, anti-Jew uh, in right. many ways. Again, this has been pushed back. Because then Michael Eisner and all these Jews, you know, end up running Disney, yes, end up running over the company. But let's let's move from Walt, the Jew hater, uh, Jews took him over to the last little time. The triggering event was that Israel arrested a 
Palestine, a Palestinian Islamic Jihad leader in the West Bank. Then there was clear intelligence that uh, Israel had acquired that the that in revenge, the PIJ, as we'll now call them, was planning an attack to launch anti-tank missiles into Israel. They then, Israel then closed off the highways. For a couple of days, access was limited around that area to the detriment of free mobility of, of citizens of the South. And then after a couple of days of waiting, using really remarkable amount of intelligence about what's going on in there and precision drones, Israel went at, went out and attacked uh, the, uh, the the weapons of the fighters of a Palestinian Islamic Jihad. Uh, the civilians in Gaza did die. Most of them who died died because of missiles that PIJ had fired that ended up landing in Gaza instead of Israel. Thank God. And apparently, uh, the PIJ was unaware that the missile guidance system was devised by Waze, and uh, it ended up. <laughs> with the missiles falling in Gaza, Baruch Hashem, instead of in Israel. And unfortunately, there were civilian casualties in Gaza. However, uh, it was a remarkably quick quick confrontation. Thank God no casualties uh, on, the, uh, on the Israeli side. And also, it's clear that in many ways, Hamas leaders sat back, folded their arms, and watched Israel punish their own rivals in Gaza. It's also pretty clear that Iran was involved in inspiring these people to act uh, because Palestine, Islamic, Palestinian Islamic Jihad is a client uh, of Iran. Also, the, I mean, the real news here is Iran in general. You have the, the attempted assassination of Salman Rushdie. You have the fellow who was arrested who was planning to kill John Bolton and Mike Pompeo. You have the guy who was arrested in Brooklyn stalking with, 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 an, with an assault rifle, an Iranian dissident journalist living, living in Brooklyn. And yet we keep hearing reports that it's very possible there'll still be an Iran deal. And in, in light of the fact that you have all these incidents of Iranians trying to kill Americans or people in America, and you have the Iranian diplomat who's in prison in Belgium for planning a terrorist attack in France. I mean, this is there's a whole long, there's a laundry list and of continuing Iranian mischief in the Middle East. It is a little disturbing, maybe a lot disturbing, that the Americans are still at the table in Vienna, you know, considering signing a deal with these guys. And, um, and, and that certainly is disturbing. So the small picture is a, a weekend war in Gaza. Right. And then these assassination attempts or, or plots. But the big story is still the Iran nu nuclear deal. Lapid has yelled and screamed as prime minister that the West shouldn't capitulate uh, to, to Iranians, to the Iranians at, at the negotiating table. And but time is running out. It's, there seems to be a, a number of Biden advisors who are single mindedly focused on restoring that which Trump erased meaning the Iran deal, restoring Obama's deal with the Iranians, really in, in almost in, in, with blinders on the fact that how much has already happened since that time and how soon the sunset clauses would be operable. I mean, it's really quite remarkable, the fanaticism of those who are pushing this deal. And, and, and again, yeah. in the face of... So, so I think you, you masterfully um, bridged the two topics Although we gave short shrift to the second one, but you've actually managed uh, in your inimitable style to be able to fuse these two on one, right? Because really, and, and I'll just put the exclamation point on it or period on it, is that the type of 
you know, turmoil or a sense of uh, disharmony, uh, the sense of we don't, what, what the heck is going on in America emboldens players. We've always, we've heard about China being emboldened, but you're saying things that are very close to our heart, which is Eretz Yisrael, the enemies of Eretz Yisrael, like Iran and others, are also emboldened by the fact that there's no marshal, uh, you know, right. in, in the, there's no marshal in the West. Of traditional American leadership. Uh, that starts with Trump. You can't just lay this on Biden. I agree. I, I, again, no. but, but remember, please. listen, Biden. I mean, I, I love the hypocrisy and the lies of the Democrats when they say, well, Biden had to get out of Afghanistan. Trump signed a deal. What does that even mean? I mean, how do you even say those words and, and, and keep That's, a straight face? Right, especially as, since- if, as if Biden hasn't reversed other policies of Trump. I mean, the whole thing is, it, it, I mean, how, I don't know how they expect. Uh, anyway. They have absolutely no credibility. On the other hand, Trump did, you know, Trump wanted to pull out of Syria. The generals had to stop him three or four times. You know, tr- this isolationism is so dangerous. Yeah, and it all goes right, back right, to the right, failed right. efforts in Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah, Again, the only counter argument, and we can end on this, is that people realize that Trump, rash as he was, might do something. And we talked about Putin perhaps being uh, a coward by Trump's yeah. Trump's rashness. Possibly the mullahs in Iran as well. Uh, had Trump won, perhaps they would be less adventurous. No, no, what no they're trying to do. There are advantages, probably outweighed by disadvantages, but there are advantages to having a lunatic in power where people are scared to death, right? And yes. you know, I mean, it's an old somebody was once uh, trying to yeah. summarize. Well, well, let's put it this way: better a lunatic may be in power, then no one really in power. Right, right. One of the mistakes Biden made, although you have to give him credit for a lot on Ukraine, I mean, there are certain things they haven't done right, but one of the worst things Biden did was telegraph, not just telegraph, but explicitly pronounced on multiple occasions that the Americans wouldn't fight, right? The Americans would, you know, y- you leave your enemy wondering, that's right. You know, and, 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 and Biden, you know, is, is certainly does not exactly exude strength here uh, at all. And, and, and Trump, in, in his own way, was a terrible isolationist where he didn't understand NATO. He didn't understand. Uh, listen, he was right about NATO and, and not contributing sufficiently. But uh, but had Trump done what he wanted to do with NATO and then Russia invade Ukraine, where would we be today? You know, so. Um, so Trump's isolationism, which is you know becoming more and more popular even in the Republican Party, uh, you know it, it, it leaves the world wondering about American leadership. They don't see it as a Trump problem anymore or a Biden problem. They see it as a, as the disposition of America has has changed. There's no question. Yeah, yeah. and well, obviously, as we uh, you know, as we obviously are in the spell always for Shloim Michel Malchus, and of course for. Uh, the Shalom Medina as well, and and and, and th- we'll see what happens. Um, we're going to be meeting again, hopefully more frequently now. But um, any predictions about uh, what's going to be after Yom Tovim? Who's going to be? Oh, there's an election the- in Israel. That's yeah. Let's, let's just get an early prediction from you, and then we'll close. All right, I think what people are not focusing on the most important things here. People are talking about Lapid, and people talk about Bibi and Gantz and everybody else. All right, the key issue is. Will Aguda and Degelatoa, will the Hasidim and the Misnagdim get be able to unify into one party? That's the most crucial issue facing the Jewish people today. It's the same as it was in 1850. We have to make sure the Hasidim and Misnagdim get along. 
Otherwise, there'll be a split in the Ashkenazic religious world between uh, Degala Torah and Aguda. Uh, the UTJ label will, will evaporate. There'll be two separate parties. We need the Hasidim Misnagda to make peace because in 2022, in the modern state of Israel, the key issue is the Balatani and the Vilna God. That's the key issue. <laughs> I, listen, I, you say that with a straight face, but I, but I will say, you know, as we get ready, you know, Elo is on the uh, is on the horizon very soon. Uh, Rishon Salantar was very um, uh, said a very prescient comment when uh, you know people asked him about you know why, why are you being so ticky tack? Why are you being so uh, exact about Musr and Midos and Derecheretz and Diktuk and Mitzvahs? Um, don't you realize that so much of the world is becoming non-religious and is leaving God altogether? Um, and of course, he actually spent the last years of his life in, Par- in, 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 in Russia and Paris and other places where, which was the heart of the non-religious world, of the secular world. And what he was doing there has been a question that historians and uh, thinkers have been wondering, like, what was his hashpa? What was he trying to do? He was in Lemel and other places that were not centers of yeshivas. But one of the things he said at the time when he was criticized was, you don't realize that when you are over uh, the Rabbonon, when you aren't in Israel and Lashonara, when you who are close to the, to the flame uh, move in one direction or, or, or lax, that has a ripple effect. And the ripple effect is, is that there's going to be a yid, he says, in, 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 in Paris who's going to light up a cigarette. We, are, right. we all are interconnected. And within our scope of life, in terms of what's been given to us, we do need to work on that. So I, I know that you're saying it, uh, you know, in a mocking fashion, but I actually believe, despite you know the fact that we have this program, that achdus and, and working within ourselves will have that ripple effect. I mean, we speaking we, of achdus, I want to tell you a story about Rav Salander. When the uh, neolog movement started in Hungary, and the Hungarian rabbanim put them in cherem, if you remember. What did Rabbi Saul Salander say back in Russia? He said, and I'll paraphrase, obviously, and translate. He said, I don't judge the Hungarian Rabbanim. They know their country and Hill is better than I do. But I know if the reform opened uh, uh, one of their places here where I am, I wouldn't put them in Cherem. I take my chair and my table and my gemara, sit outside their place and talk to Jews as they went in. And we, we are... We are so, in the Orthodox community, so busy checking everybody's tzitzis and so busy delegitimizing people in order to shore up our own position, in order to disqualify others. We're so busy defaming and criticizing. It is, we're not exactly making a daily kiddush Hashem on how we comport ourselves, no. And, and that is, in Eretz Israel especially, that is the number one barrier to an increased religious observance on the part of Israelis who I think are, 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 are hungry for something real and authentic, are hungry for a Yiddishkeit that, uh, that, that, that would uh, elevate their lives. And instead, they see religious political figures. I wouldn't say rabbinic figures, religious political figures acting, acting in a way which does not increase the honor or prestige of Torah. Because what they're they're acting in alignment with what the standard political way of acting is, right. and of course, what's demanded from them and from all of us really is uh, answering to a higher calling. I mean, I happen to believe that if tomorrow morning or Sunday uh, the religious parties like Shas and and UTJ or whoever 
would announce that we are no longer in the business of politics. We will encourage religious Jews to participate in the political process, but there will no longer be any religious parties, right? It would increase the stature of Jewish life in a breathtaking way that that which they seek to enforce through laws in the Knesset or backroom deals with political parties would happen organically because the country would have over time a great respect for religious life if they stayed away from politics. I see. So we have accomplished a great thing, listeners. The uh, Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruvain Yeshua Pupko uh, of Beth Israel, Beth Aaron, has now reached out a symbolic hand to someone whose yurt site we'll, we'll be celebrating uh, this coming week on Chav Vavav, Rav Yehush himself, Asatmarov, and Pupko. Pupko and Asatmarov are biyachad in this message. Take care, everybody. We'll check <laughs> you out next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 